Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talent Playbook Podcast. My name is Jason Ferrara. I'm the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Outmatch and your host for the podcast. Our podcast focuses on strategies for transforming your world of work. During each podcast, we highlight someone who's transformed their organization or their industry in a significant way. Today's guest is Imo Udom, the CEO of WePow. I spent just under an hour talking to Emo. He's such a friendly and open person. It was really a fun conversation to have. He willingly shares his story of the founding of WePow, as well as uh, lots of gems from his career, like how he built the product he sells. I think that'll be a great description for those of you who have experience in product management. He talks about the traits he looks for in successful WePow employees. He talks about how he developed the WePow values and the expectations he has for those employees, how diversity really helped build his company. And he thinks of it in terms of diversity in thought and experience, and that's what really drives innovation for them. He talks about what his day looks like as a CEO, and he ends with just a great description of how to find the right mentor. He talks a little bit about his mentor and, and how he found his mentor. I think there's some lessons there for us all who might be out looking for mentors. But the real transformation I think of with, with Emo and WePow is how he took his life experiences and built a company and a product that's really thriving. It's a great story. Um, it's empowering, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So without further delay, here is the Talent Playbook podcast with Emo Udom. Emo, thanks for joining us today. So before we get started with the questions that that I've got prepared and the questions I don't have prepared, um, tell our listeners a little bit about WePow and and what you do. And I uh, just think it'd be not everybody's going to know, so I think it'd be great to to have them all have a good understanding of that. Well, I appreciate that, Jason. So um, Emo, co-founder and CEO of WePow. At WePow, we're all about helping organizations connect with talent. So that's our big thing. How do we help companies connect with talent, whether that be external talent that are trying to hire or internal talent that are trying to engage? Today, we do that with our video interviewing solution uh, that's focused around reducing interviewing time and improving hiring quality. A lot of people ask me what WePower stands for. Essentially, WePower is short for WePower. What we're doing is we power organizations to hire better people faster and reduce costs while maintaining a personal connection. That's a video piece. Yeah. How do we make sure we, people are still maintaining a personal connection no matter what they're doing? Um, I love that. So two things that makes me think about. One is uh, it's 2018. We're still talking a lot about how to help companies hire better people and hire better people faster. So you know, where do you think the evolution of that is? I, I know this hasn't been figured out. This is kind of a perennial question, but it feels <laughs> like something that should have been figured out already, right? It, it should have been. You know, so here's what we're trying to do and one of my views of this. The challenge is this. Hiring is both an art and a science, right? I don't think we've gotten either done right, so to speak. So there's a lot of evolution happening. On the one hand, you want to make sure you have structure, you're putting people through a a strong process, which helps reduce bias, which helps you make better decisions because you have more rigor in your your data. 
On the other hand, you want to keep things personalized, engaging, and fun. So one of the things that we think the future looks like when it comes to hiring, and specifically when it comes to hiring in a way that is both effective but keeps people engaged, is figuring out a way to do personalized mass communication, Mm. right? How do you do all the automation? How do you do the scale but keep things very personalized? And that's not an easy thing to do. You know, that's partially we're starting to see in the HR tech space, a lot of interest in chatbots and AI and predictive analytics. A lot of that has to do with can we use technology to automate the low-level tasks so that the recruiters have more time and are not freed up to have those personal interactions. Um, and then obviously the critical thing is to put data around it or structure around it, let's say, and you guys know this well, Outmatch, but put, put structure into the process so that you have real data that can make real decisions based on what makes sense for each role. Yeah. So again, what I would say the answer is, is finding a way to do personalized mass communication or personalized mass automation, however yeah. you want to call that. So uh, uh, that, that that's a great answer to that question because you uh, the hitting the art and science part of it is is very true and I think if you you know you talk to what people would think are the gold standards of hiring out there 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 very much is an art and a science in those in those places you mentioned um, the HR tech industry and the the hot parts of HR tech today around chat and um, and machine learning and and artificial intelligence. So I guess give me your opinion about that. And then I'd I'd also like to understand from you, you know, what do you think the readiness is in the market to um, consume that? You know, what are are, are recruiters ready to, you know, really jump head first into artificial intelligence? And and what is, what's your opinion about that? Yeah. I'm glad you asked it. And I'm glad you should, about opinion. So my personal opinion, <laughs> these opinions are not reflective of, you know, the whole disclaimer there. That's right. I'll do but a disclaimer. I'll do a disclaimer opinion. at the end. <laughs> my personal perspective is that, um, you know, the market isn't quite ready. But but when I say that, I mean that in all the context of, I remember when we were starting to do video interviewing, the market wasn't ready then and still kind of isn't ready recruiters, hiring managers, candidates, they're dealing with so much. I think one of the things that technology people forget is that these are people's lives. Mm-hmm. We're not doing some consumer product uh, that you know just gives you more pictures. These are people's lives. These mm-hmm. are people's careers. These are people's futures. That's important. You know, I'm a as an entrepreneur, I'm all for innovation. I think we should push the envelope. I love that. But we also need to be practical about what we're trying to achieve and the impact we're having on people's day-to-day lives. And so, again, I think the market isn't quite ready. But that being said, we're never going to be ready if we don't start somewhere. So yeah. I have a – I'm excited about these innovations. You know, as we power as an organization, we're going to be implementing some of them later on this year. But I'm also very cautious when I talk to customers and clients about the use cases. I'm all for – Experiment, you know, find a little area, experiment, 
but don't necessarily think this is an end-all be-all because the technology isn't quite there yet. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the challenge, right? You have to start somewhere, but at the same time, if organizations are thinking this chatbot is going to save my life, this predictive analytics is going to do everything I need to do day one, that's just the wrong viewpoint. And when I, again, when I talk to clients, partners, I love people who are going down this path, but I'm also a little wary to say, let's just pick a place to sandbox this. Let's pick mm-hmm. a place to start. Um, let's understand what we're getting here versus what the full potential might be down the line. There's a difference. Yeah, it 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 makes me think about SpaceX in a way, right? For for years, NASA controlled the space race, and SpaceX comes along and disrupts that, and that's not the perfect solution either. But you're never going to get to a solution unless you begin to try things that are alternative and and have a different cost structure and, and that sort of thing. I think a lot of times it's easy for people to see that as innovation as opposed to Correct. almost incremental in, in, innovation in, in the HR tech world with even chat, right? I mean, chat, I think, represents an enormous innovation, just, just like video. So let's get back, let's get back to, the, to the video part of it. So um, I, I'd, be, I'd be really interested to understand how you got, how you got started, right? So how you started WePow, but also like just how you got started in the HR tech industry. Yeah, Jason. So there's the long version and the short version, but I, I think everyone listening here just wants the juicy story. So right, exactly. I'll I'll try and think back to that. I would say I've gotten into this space in a strange way. It definitely was not linear at all. Coming out of college, I was very fortunate to be accepted into the engineering leadership development program at Lockheed Martin. That's a really amazing program. You know, it's a rotational program, typically four years, sometimes five, and they put you through different departments. You're able to have very strong leadership roles at an early age, and it grooms you to be a leader, right? Mm -hmm. Ideally a leader of Lockheed, but generally a leader. So, you know, a couple years into that program, oftentimes what they would do is have current leadership development program members go back to their alma maters, their universities, to help recruit new people into the program. So they'd oftentimes partner up with the recruiting team that's focused around campus recruiting and send somebody with the campus recruiting team. So I happened to be one of those individuals that went back to the University of Pennsylvania to try and identify people that would be great specifically for the program. So that was years ago. That was my first experience with anything to do with recruiting. So I'm not a recruiter. I'm an engineer, Mm -hmm. uh, but I've always loved interacting with people. So I go back to campus, and I must admit, I was blown away. I mean, specifically what I mean by that, it felt like being in a zoo. There's so many things going on, tons of people coming at me. I'm standing, my feet hurt, trying to talk to individuals about Lockheed to get them to understand what we do and get excited specifically about this program. I'm trying to remember everything everyone's sharing with me. The recruiting team tells me very clearly, if you pick up a resume, you're not allowed to write notes on a resume because that could be a violation of OFCCP or other regulations. You can only put certain codes. So I remember coming back and saying, wait, I met people. I met so many people. I wasn't allowed to take notes about anybody I met. And when I came back, my manager of the program says, who was good? Right. And I'm thinking, I have no clue. I don't remember. (laughs) You know, I wasn't even allowed to take notes. 
so that was just really, I realized the challenge the recruiter's going through and the pain of that experience. Fast forward another year or two, I was actually contacted by one of my best friends from high school, and he was working at Monster.com at the time. Mm-hmm. And he just says, Emo, I have this great idea for a startup. It's in the HR technology space, something around recruiting. Are you interested in doing something? Mm-hmm. So immediately I, I felt the pain. Even though I, I was not a recruiter, just that experience going to campus a couple times, um, that really made me understand that there's something that needs to be done here. There must be a better way. And that was my initial interest in the HR tech space. Now, the idea and the concept we came up with was not WePow. It was not a video interviewing platform. But what we thought about back then in, what was this, 2008, 2009, we said, what if we created a job board for part-time and temporary job students in the UK? Uh, part-time students, sorry. Part-time and temporary jobs for UK university students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so we thought, well, you know, if you're a student and you look for jobs like a bartender, waitress, wait, waiter, store clerk, what you study doesn't really matter. Your resume is almost nothing. So how do we help these job seekers tell a little bit more about themselves to these organizations that want to hire them? And you, you, the were, you, were, in the, you were in the UK at the time or you were in the United States? Oh, great question. So when we decided to start the company, we said, okay, we're going to do this on our own dime. We don't have a lot of money. Where can we find good talent? Where can we be that's low cost of living, but we're still close to um, where we would like to be down the line? Mm -hmm. And so actually two of my co-founders were from Mexico. So I think first we moved to Silicon Valley like everyone does. (laughs) We realized it was super expensive. There's no way we could live on our own savings in Silicon Valley. I remember I, I ended up moving out of my apartment before we started the company. I slept on a friend's couch for seven months to save up rent money. And then we decided to move to Mexico. So we actually okay. moved, all of us quit our jobs and moved to Guadalajara, Mexico. Ooh. And we started building the company from there. So very atypical, but it was a great yeah. experience. Did you speak Spanish? No Spanish. Uh-huh. I had taken French in high school, sure, but I knew nothing of Spanish. I just, you know, it was very interesting. Lockheed was extremely, extremely supportive. Oh, okay. I remember one day talking to you know, the VP or senior vice president of engineering at Lockheed, and I, I talked about I'm, I might want to leave to do a startup. I don't know what to do, how to think about it. And he was super supportive. You know, he told me, you know what? go do this. You're young. This is the right time to explore and try something new. If it doesn't work out, Lockheed will always be here. We're happy to have you back. So that was great. That was really supportive. That that really helped me feel great. It allowed me to talk to my parents and they said, oh, if Lockheed's going to take you back, <laughs> go ahead. Right. So, uh, right. I felt more comfortable. And I said, I moved to Mexico, never having been to Mexico ever in my life, not knowing anything about Spanish, uh, but it was a great experience. I've been very fortunate. I actually grew up in England, in London, England, and I have traveled quite a lot around the world. My family's from Nigeria, so I've been to Nigeria a lot. So Mexico wasn't too much of a shock. Yeah. Right. I think okay. I've, I've experienced a lot of different cultures, a lot of different foods, a lot of different people. So Mexico was not that hard. Yeah. For yeah. Me. Okay. Cool. Okay. So, sorry, um, yeah. you, you weren't in the UK. You want to start the company. Lockheed said, fantastic. Yeah. You moved to Mexico. What happens next? 
moved to Mexico, we say, you know, it's very, looking back at it, it's almost laughable. So my team and I said we had this awesome idea for a job board where when you upload your resume, you could add a 30-second video pitch. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to love it. Mm-hmm. Awesome idea. We knew nothing about startups or being an entrepreneur or building a business from scratch. We only had uh, corporate American experience. So we sit in Mexico and we build this amazing product that everyone's going to love for nine months. We literally don't talk to anybody. We're just spending nine months focused on this product. So I remember we decide, okay, when it's time to launch, we've heard of startups doing launch parties. So we organized this launch party in London. And that was the first time we showed our product to anybody. So that was a little wild. Looking back at it, I can't believe we talked to nobody while we built that. And what was, very the, what, was, you know, what was the response to the product built in a, built in a vacuum? Yeah, so fortunately, the idea was good. So actually, people loved it. We launched it in the UK. Great. People loved it. We had customers. We were offering it for free early on. So that also makes it easier to get users. But we had people using the platform. Companies would post their jobs, and candidates would apply and then do this video thing. You know, you could say upload a video or create a 30-second video pitch. So that was good. Uh, we didn't have a good sense of how to monetize that, though, because we were fairly new. But we had customers who said, hey, we really love this concept, but we don't really need a whole job board. Is there anything you can do just to focus on a video piece mm-hmm. that really gives us some great insight before we invite the candidate on site. So hearing that, we said, okay, let's test this out. You know, this is sort of version two. We realized, okay, we're not gonna just go build something for nine months anymore. Uh, We actually decided, you know, we had two customers that were really pushing us to do something more around the video. So we told them, okay, we're gonna build something around this video piece, but before we build it, you have to agree to buy it and use it for a year. So we actually sold two contracts for this product that we hadn't even built. So we sold the contracts, and they knew that. Good for you. Good for you. We're all transparent, but we said, this time we're going to do it right. So we sold it. uh, Then we built it. Then we gave it to them. They both liked it. Uh, We took feedback from – we actually had two different versions, one for each customer. Okay. We took feedback from both that they liked, and then we combined it into one new platform. And that's what we actually ended up launching. Oh, that's really cool. And was that was that company was was the product that came out of that? Did you turn that into the company WePow, or was that even a predecessor to WePow? So it did turn into WePow. So our our name wasn't originally WePow. We've gone through a couple of names, mm-hmm. but it was the actual product was a video interview platform that allowed you to prompt candidates with pre-recorded questions. Um, I think when we first launched that, we named it OVIA, mm-hmm. which is an acronym, O-V-I-A, stood for Online Video Interviewing Application. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, engineers, right? We don't know what to do. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> but very early on, when we talked to some com- customers, they said, uh, OVIA sounds like a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> might want to rethink that. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're really happy with WePow now. We power being sure for we power. Yeah, that's great. So when we when we first met, we met in San Francisco. You're not in Mexico still, right? That was a period of time, and then you you that, moved back to the states. Right. Yeah. And how long after the launch yeah. did it take to move back? It was very quick. So when we launched the new product, 
we immediately said, and we had clients actually using it, we said, okay, it's time. Let's move back to the U.S., let's set up our headquarters in the U.S., and let's go out and get some support from venture capitalists. Yeah. So we did that fairly quickly. In 2011, we officially, although we had clients already, we officially became what we are now, WePow, and we launched to the U.S. market. Cool. All right, so you had mentioned so, your your life growing up, moving around a fair bit, um, having exposure to different cultures. You know, how did that – how was that uh, an, an impact to – to you building and growing a company, you know, how, how has that sort of informed what you do in your life, that, those experiences? Yeah, so I'm, I'm very fortunate and thankful to my parents. As you said, I moved around a lot when I was younger, went to different schools, lived in different countries, I worked in different countries. So that really made me worldly from day one. And it's interesting, when we started the business, we always thought global and international. Mm-hmm. I think one of the drawbacks to a lot of Silicon Valley companies have is they think first only about California, and then their world tends to be the United States. Mm-hmm. Because we felt globally from day one, I remember I think at one point we were maybe 11 or 12 employees from eight different nationalities. Wow. Right. Yeah. And so thinking about what does it take to help people in different areas, and different countries? How do we think about the customs and nuances? That has really helped us as a business work really well with global companies. You know, we're fortunate, a lot of our early clients were Adidas in Germany, Deloitte in Mexico, Walmart in Mexico, you know, Heineken in Amsterdam. We've been very fortunate to work with a lot of global brands, and what they see in us stems from our backgrounds of living and interacting in different countries and with different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think one of the things that I love about that experience is giving me a really good appreciation for diversity. And when I say diversity, I really mean diversity of thought, diversity of experience. Fundamentally, that adds so much innovation and value to us in ways that, you know, I almost can't quantify. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that people in with similar backgrounds feel similarly to to how you do about it what what in the in the development process you know can you give me some specific examples where that diversity of thought or that appreciation of we're going global on day one you made choices in the product that were were informed by more of a global perspective sure yes so you know it's very interesting when we started the product um, in Europe. So this is early days in, yeah. in Europe, in Latin America as well. They are very comfortable on video. People have been mm-hmm. using things like Skype to mm-hmm. do video conversations mm-hmm. for a long time. On the U.S. side, funny enough, we shied away from video. You know, we uh, here over here, people actually showing their faces when they're not necessarily in person had been a scary thought. But we realized how engaging video can be on both sides. So let me draw that back to the product. When we built the product, from day one, the way the system worked is that recruiters would have to record themselves asking questions. Mm, okay. and that video recording would play to the candidate, and the candidate would record their response. That was critical, right? 
it was great we had the European and Latin American influence because we knew, you know what, recruiters should be comfortable talking to the candidate. If they're going to ask the candidate to record themselves, recruiters can record themselves as well. Right. Um, come to find out on the U.S. side, recruiters didn't feel quite as comfortable. And so when we, after launching, we realized that other players in the space, most players in the space just had a video, a text question that appeared to the candidate, and then the candidate had to respond via video. But we felt that was completely unfair. From day one, we needed a video both ways. And the result of that in the product is it really helps to create more of an engaging experience for candidates. They love being able to see somebody. I remember early days, I was visiting Adidas, or Adidas as they call it, but mm -hmm. Adidas here in the U.S. headquarters, and I happened to be um, in the sh a shuttle with a new store manager that they had hired, and he had gone through WePow. What was great is when we walked into the recruiting department together, he started recognizing people that he had seen in the video experience. So what was so amazing that there's this immediate connection. He had a visual face-to-face -face interaction with them on WePow, and so when he met in person, he was able to make that connection. And that, that was just great. I mean, and that's something that we really pushed that engagement as a core tenant in everything we do with WePow. Yeah, that's very cool, and that gets back to your that engagement, but that idea that you were talking about early on, which is this, how do you personalize mass communication, right? right? I mean, you, you essentially, right. if you've got somebody who gets off a shuttle bus and sees people around the headquarters um, because they saw them on a video, that's a really, that's a personal interaction. That's fantastic. That's that's great to achieve. Exactly. And over time, the, although the U.S. users initially were so against it, over time, now they've come around. Right. And we were one of the pioneers of that type of interaction, and it's been really been great for us. So let's talk a little bit about your your employees. You know, how many how many employees do you have? What are some of the things you look for when you when you hire employees? I'm I'm guessing you hire engineers. I'm guessing you have some salespeople. So just tell us a little bit about the organization, how it's how it's structured. Yeah. So you know we're. 30 or so now, okay. you know, we'll probably add another, we'll grow to 40 or 50 in the next 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, we like to say we're small but mighty, lean but mean. <laughs> yep. uh, you know, and I think for us, what we really look for in the team, the two core tenants, one is flexibility. And I say that because in the world of building a new business, I'm pushing a new paradigm. You know, video engineering is not, it did not exist. It's something new. This whole concept of changing the way hiring and recruiting is done is still an evolution. You need people that are going to be flexible enough to come into that kind of environment, learn very quickly, and adapt how they're, what they've learned prior to being there to what the situation really needs. You know, in certain interactions, when we work with some organizations, you need to be firm. In others, you need to be soft. Um, we need to handhold some clients in some, in some situations, or you need to be flexible in others. So flexibility is one thing that we look at. Mm -hmm. I definitely, this is not a criteria, but what I've just seen is a lot of our team tends to have some level of global or uh, experience, whether that's directly or they travel a lot. Um, and I think that lends itself well because, as I said, we have a lot of Amer U.S. clients, but we also have global brands. Mm -hmm. uh, aside from that, I'd like to see people that have overcome some kind of adversity in their life. And that can be anything. It can be work-wise. It can be relationship-wise. It can be uh, just pushing uh, specific initiatives. 
And, and I think, again, that's just important. It builds character. Um, um, at WePow, we really like to push that we're super transparent with our customers. We don't sugarcoat things. We don't promise things we can't deliver on. And, you know, sometimes that makes things challenging for us when we're trying to sell to a customer. Um, because we have to be honest about what we do. But I think in the long run, it builds the right character and the right level of relationship. And that's why we have trust with internally within each other and the team and externally with our clients and partners. So, again, that character building, having overcome adversity, being comfortable, being honest and transparent, those are key things for team members that we bow. And have you, like, institutionalized those things as values in the company? I mean, that sounds sort of a wonky way to put it, but or are those just the unspoken values? You know, how do you – you may recognize yeah. that. Do others – how does that work inside the company? That's great. So, you know, it's an, it's an evolving process. So we've, we've done an exercise where we said, okay, let's write down these values. Let's conceptualize these things. Let's standardize them. And in some cases, we have done that, right? We have our WePow core values. They're not words. You know, I think that having specific value words, like a lot of companies do, are okay. Uh, but what we try and do is actually talk about core ways of being, right? And, and we describe our values in terms of ways of being mm-hmm. and that helps the team not just look at these as an academic exercise but as a way that shapes how they interact with each other how they interact with our clients how they interact with partners even when someone's not watching um, so that's what we've done internally it's not been easy right i think that uh, because we actually have a pretty distributed workforce so a lot of people are working from home or in different offices mm-hmm. so we continually reevaluate that and each team, there are some attributes that are very unique to the team uh, that are important for success. So when we're screening or interviewing candidates, we obviously look for that core aspect of honesty, transparency, grit. But then each team has some nuances that they focus on that they're making hires for that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suppose there are as a as a software developer there might be different things that than that, that you look exactly. for kind of marketing person that salesperson that sort of thing so exactly more on the kind of running of the company that's a great insight you know I love the notion of doing something the way you want it to be done when someone's not watching so that makes me think of of metrics right so there are ways of being but then what are those metrics that you look at as the CEO uh, or, or you look at with the rest of your team to know if you're being successful. What are those like? What are kind of the three metrics that you, you know, really need to run the business with? Great. So I'm not going to give you all my little goodies. Yeah. I'm going to generalize my response to this. <laughs> sure. Okay. Very general. So, you know, I think the three key areas. So sorry. To look at if I if I can interrupt you, you believe that your um, the metrics you run the business by are one of your differentiators, right? Based on your responses now? I would say that, yes. Yeah. I would say that that is really okay. important. So okay. cool. I, I'm going to generalize a bit Yeah. still try to answer yours, uh, these questions in a, in a top-level way. So I, yeah. I think there's three areas to really focus on. I, I'm going to generalize and call it employee engagement. Mm-hmm. How are people feeling? Right? Are they connected with the company, with the mission, the vision? Are they connected with each other? Are they having problems? And there are a number of different metrics that can support that. Right. So I'm not singling out one. Yep. But I think that's really important. 
And it took me a while to truly understand that. And maybe we had to be at a certain size for it to start mattering more, right? When you're really small and everything's new and fresh, everyone's on the same page and excited. As you grow and have a distributed team, it's really easy to lose people. But now I realize how important it is to find different ways to track and understand employee engagement. And we're not using a special tool. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking anything about that. But it's just making sure that people are feeling valued, people are having growth opportunities, and people are engaged in what we do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I won't give you all the ways we do that. Sure. I think that's the secret. Cust- next is customer engagement, obviously. And there are a million metrics you can use for customer engagement. Are your customers happy? Are they satisfied? Are they buying? Are they renewing? All those aspects. But at the end of the day, we're building our products and service for someone to achieve a vision for someone, to create a future for an organization or our customers. So we need to make sure that that's actually happening. Um, And then the third thing, you know, if you're in the startup world or any company, cash is king, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the number one reasons why companies die is they run out of cash. So Mm -hmm. things to look at ROI, things that, you know, metrics around cash flow, are we making what we should be making? Do the unit economics of our business make sense? I think those are critical, right? So those hard dollar metrics are also important. Yeah. So again, uh, you know, it's like a little bit of cop up, but you look at employee stuff, customers, yep. and obviously money. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair. That's a that's a great answer, and and uh, not everybody I've asked that question to gives the same three answers. So it's you know it definitely is different for 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 people. Usually there's some ROI metric there. There's usually some customer metric there. There isn't always an employee metric there. So I think that's that's um, that, that's an important thing. So so you're looking at uh, your employees and the values and the ways of being. You're looking at specific metrics. Um, what is described for me a day in the life for you? Whew, that one's tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, a lot of times days can be different. But, mm-hmm. you know, what I – I've recently started working out again, so I'll usually wake up in the morning and work out. Yep. And I go to the gym trying to be healthy, and I really realize that consistency with being in the gym for me is both a de-stressor mm-hmm. and then obviously helps on the health side. So that's one thing. You know, you've got to get your body and mind right there. Um, next, typically when I come in the morning, I, I'm very big on making sure that I achieve my most important activities or priorities. Mm-hmm. So I'll set about 30 minutes maximum to an hour to first quickly scan my email. I get tons of emails every day. If I don't pay attention to them at all, I'm just going to be inundated. So I do yeah. a quick scan of my email in 30 minutes. Delete, delete, delete. Important, follow up later, follow up later, follow up later. I don't necessarily go through everything. I actually use that time limit and stop after the time's up. Mm-hmm. Then I actually look at my real action items. So recently I, I brought on what, a coach slash mentor to really help me get organized. And he's worked wonders with me. I use Asana as my action item tool. Mm-hmm. But I use it to prioritize each day and each week. So I've already set my major goals for the week. And when I come in in the morning after quickly scanning my email, I'm looking at those priorities again and rejuggling them to say, what are my priorities for the day? Right. And so I know that before I really kick off my day, these, this is the one or two things I must accomplish today. 
And those are all tied back to overall goals for the quarter and for the year. So again, once all that's done, so I've checked my email, re-looked at my priorities. I usually actually schedule when I'm going to work on those top priorities. Mm -hmm. Usually that's a little bit later in the afternoon. I actually leave some room open for distractions. You know, one of my big things within the business is to help create possibilities for individuals and teams within my company. So people need to reach me. They have questions, they have challenges they're dealing with. So I know that ahead of time. So a lot of my morning time after going through my action items is being flexible to jump into meetings with people. Cool. Now, what's going on on the product? Where are their help? What's going on in sales? Do they need my input? Okay, what's going on with this partnership? So that's a large part of my latter half of the morning to early afternoon. Once we cross into that early afternoon time, and I'm usually actually jumping directly into my core action item that I need to work on. And then the evening can be anything from dinners with partners to coming home early and enjoying dinner with my wife. Yeah. That's that's great. You you bookend it with things for you. I I love the idea that you're leaving time open to create possibilities. What what a great phrase to to use to talk about your your team and and help innovation and create possibilities. That's a great way to put that. And um thank you. Yeah, there there are a million books out there like the one thing and you know Stephen Covey right. books about time time organization. I mean, I think you follow those Correct. as well, but I love I love that notion about creating possibilities. So, tell me a little bit more about your mentor. Is that somebody you've had for a while in your business, is or, or in your life, or is that a relatively new thing? It's fairly new, probably six months ago. Oh, cool! I really, you know, I was very fortunate. Business was going well in 2017, but I felt like I was just running like a chicken, my head cut off. So yeah. many things going on. Spent a ton of my time putting out fires. I end up talking to an entrepreneur friend of mine who was on his third company. And what he shared with me or reminded me, because I've heard this before, he said, look, Emo, it sounds like you're doing this on your own. And that shouldn't be the case. You should have your own personal board of advisors that are there. It might be up to 10 people that are there to support you in various areas. One specifically should really be focused on just operating well and how do you focus on tasks for the week. So this entrepreneur friend of mine kind of suggested that to me and it hit me, it really struck home. Through my life, I've met a lot of amazing people that have been really successful and decided how it's important for me to reach out to them and ask for help when I need help. So I started putting together what else on my personal board of advisors, people that can help me when I had questions around sales, people can help me when I had questions around marketing, people that could help me when I had personal questions about marriage and life and building my family, and then specifically someone to help me around just day-to-day ops. And this person was a former founder and COO, chief operating officer at a company. But uh, uh, Tony, he really helped me think through how do you prioritize on a daily and weekly basis? How do you make sure your days aren't spent just putting out fires. Yeah. And I worked with him probably over two, three month periods. We had weekly check-ins every Sunday. Every Sunday I had to share, here are my goals for the week and here are the priorities and here's why. And then on Friday I'd share, here's how the last week went. Um, and then the next Sunday, here's my plan for the week. So building that habit, Tony really helped me build that habit for myself. So now we still engage. I'm not sending him things weekly. But I've built that rigor 
so that I'm able to structure my days. And again, I have what I call my personal board of advisors now for different things. That's great. That's great. So, um, just a, a couple more questions in the time in the time we have together. So, let's talk about HR in general, either HR tech or the general human resources, human capital field. You know, what's probably the biggest change you've seen in your career as it relates to human capital? Yeah, I think in the human capital space overall, I've started seeing two big things. One is the HR, quote-unquote, talent acquisition HR, people being more flexible. Um, you know, when we first started in this space, everyone wanted no risk, only to use legacy solutions they've used forever, only to follow the exact same processes that had been vetted by legal. Now we're starting to see a little bit more exploration. We're seeing that people are more concerned with, here's what I'm trying to solve for, Mm-hmm. And let's figure out what process or what technology helps me achieve that versus being slaves to the process per se. You understand? Yep. You know, it's kind of the goal is more important than just the process, although the process is super important. So I think that flexibility and that switch from purely being process oriented to being goal oriented and realizing that technology and or process should help me with my goal. Um, that's one big shift I've really seen happen over the years that I've been in the space. Um, obviously, being on the HR technology side, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, there's a big push for automation and digital automation. That's definitely interesting to me because it's directly related to what I do. But more than that, I think it's the openness to understand that HR and talent acquisition is a business function. They have a goal, and their goal is to really think about how do they optimize for that goal in more about the goal and what they're trying to achieve versus just the process. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it does, it does all tie back to, to what we were talking about at the beginning with the, with the art and science and the, and the um, explosion of technology and how to perfect that art and science and keep that together and where the market readiness is and all, it all folds back into that. So that's really, that's really great. Um, All right. So you've been, You've been really busy over the years building a company. You've had a mentor. You've got a personal board of advisors. You, you've, you know, lived all over the place. You, you, you have ways to manage your company. What's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody if they came to you? They said, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready to start my career. I, I'd like a piece of advice from you based on your experience. What, what is that advice you'd give to somebody? Find a mentor. <laughs> number one, a mentor or coach, that that actually is the number one thing. I didn't mention this, but when I first started at Lockheed, I was very fortunate to find somebody that really cared for me personally mm. and my career and just helped help me think through thoughts. You know, when you're new in the workforce, you don't know anything. You don't know what the possibilities are. You don't know the paths to get to where you want to be. You barely even know where you want to be. So having someone that you can talk to that can give you some insights. And it doesn't have to be one person. You don't have to take up their whole time. But being able to have some conversations so your mind can expand, so you can see more possibilities, really sets you up for success. So I had multiple people. Right? I had someone early on. I came in, whatever, however old I was. I think I'm on the younger side, so I think I was 21 or 20 when I first joined Lockheed. Uh, but someone identified that I had potential 
helped me out, pushed me into really good roles, gave me a lot of exposure, told me when I needed to get out of that role and jump into something else, handed me off to the next person, sort of the next mentor sort of took over and helped me shape where I was at that time. So when you're early on in your career, it's really easy to think that you know everything and you already have your plan. But I would say reach out to somebody, try to find a mentor, um, someone that can give you some guidance, and that will really set you up for success. So is that, that you know, how do you find that first person? Is it just be proactive and reach out to somebody and have the conversation and see where it leads you? Is there a more formulaic way to do that? How do you How do you know that that first person or that the person you pick as a mentor is really the right is the right one? Yeah, so it has to be a feel to it. They have to be interesting in you and your life. Mm-hmm. So it's more the former, being reaching out to people, having conversations, you know, and, and specifically what a lot of us are afraid to ask questions or are afraid to share our vulnerabilities, and that shuts us off from others and shuts us off from getting help. So a lot of this finding mentors thing, it doesn't need to be an act academic exercise. Mm-hmm. It's, I have a question, I have a problem, so I see somebody either within my organization that may have experience that could help me and or in another walk of life, and I'm going to be transparent with them about where I am, what I'm looking for, and see if there's a connection. You also can't force mentorship. I'm not suggesting you reach out to someone and say, I'm looking for a mentor, help me. But I'm saying, you know, if you're looking to be a data scientist, and you happen to be at a conference or you hear someone speak about data science and you say, you know, I'm interested in being in your field. I'm a little concerned about where my next career plan should be. Would you be open to having a quick 15-minute conversation to talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. That's authentic. That's real. That's how you build those connections enough to find the person that will be your mentor. And, again, the person that's going to be your mentor is the person that actually cares about you, that meets you, that talks to you, that says, okay, follow up with me. Um, the key to mentorship as well or building a mentor or establishing a mentor is A, communication, and B, consistency. Right? You don't have to have big asks. Again, Tony, who became my mentor and really helped me on the process side of things, we just should touch base every once in a while via email. Then we started having lunches. And then we, you know, it was a year later, we decided to f- more proactively formalize the relationship. But we built that over time. Mm-hmm. Talk to people, have lunch, have dinner, have coffee, be on the phone, not just over email and text message. That's how you build mentorship relationships. That's great. Thanks for that. It's, it's super exciting to hear about your experience and then how you'd distill that for somebody else. I really appreciate you doing that, and I appreciate you spending the time to talk with me for this for this uh, for this amount of time. It's been been a little under an hour, so I really appreciate you know the the, the time you took to do it. So thanks so much, Emo, and and best of luck to you, and uh, look forward to seeing you again. Thank you, Jason. I've really appreciated this. Thank you for listening to the Talent Playbook podcast with our guest Emo Udom. If you'd like to learn more about Emo, you can start by following him on Twitter at Emo Udom. That's I M O U D O M. And to learn more about WePow, his company WePow, visit their website at WePow.com. You can listen to other episodes of the Talent Playbook podcast at iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, on YouTube. You can go to the Outmatch.com website and click the Now Streaming 
icon in the menu. I'll also thank our producer and engineer, Charles Summers. And until next time, this is Jason Ferrara saying thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.